This is the second Sunday of Advent. Um, I will light the second candle um, in a second here. We continue to do our best to cultivate hope, to be reminded that the world is dark and that Christ is the light, um, that as we sang in that song, the Lord himself is to be the light within our midst. He is our hope. After we light the second candle, uh, Brian will come up and give uh, this Sunday's sermon. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to be in First John, a lot of it, I think. Um, he sent me a, a text when he was studying with a picture of his Bible, First John, all marked up, highlighted. And the text said, this sparks so much longing to see him, to know him. We really have a good master and friend and shepherd. And, and so that's the response we're looking for. That's what we're inviting the Holy Spirit to do in our church, in our midst today, is to, to spark the longing to see him and know him. Brian? Come on up. Can everybody just stand up first and let's all just pray together and ask God for, like I, words have limitations, so I'd rather Jesus be doing the work in you of just stirring up longing. So everybody at once, I'll just pray up here, but use your voice and just ask for longing, ask for the Holy Spirit to move in you. All right, three, two, one, go. Yeah, Jesus, I just thank you that you you want to do this. You you bring life to us, and um, Lord, we want to know you. We want to hunger and thirst after you, Jesus, and to to know that we are meeting with you, and that uh, it gets better when you come again. Um, yes, just ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, <clears throat> y'all can take your seats if, unless you want to stay standing. <laughs> Uh, so, Advent is all about arrival, anticipating something that's coming. Uh, we talk about the advent of new um, technology or creations or things like this. Uh, but it's that idea of expectation. And, like, historically, this season is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. Like, the first time Jesus comes, we're, we get excited about that because that changed everything. That changed the world. Uh, where would we be without the first coming, without Jesus having been born? Um, it's, it's the invitation to remember that God with us is God with us, uh, that he is Emmanuel. And uh, we'd still be waiting like, the, like all the prophets and the priests and the kings were before. We'd still be waiting for the first coming of this Messiah if he hadn't come yet. Uh, and that waiting, I think, has a unique pain of its own, and they got to have that pain relieved when he came first. Um, <clears throat> so I, like, I'm just struck by the humility of Jesus' first coming. As a baby, like, he had just identifies with us in every way, being brought up as a human kid. Uh, Hebrews 4 describes that he can fully advocate for us as a high priest because he came as a man, knows our struggles, knows our humanity. And uh, John 2 it's, it's a slightly different context, but in John 2, he says he doesn't need anyone to bear witness about what's in humanity's heart. <laughs> he knows us. He doesn't need anyone to bear witness. And that's, it's written in a slightly negative sense, 
but all the same, he knows us. He knows our humanity. He knows our weakness. Our, uh, he knows our hopes and our dreams. Um, so let's give a brief pause. Take 15 seconds or something like that. Let the Holy Spirit remind you of how different your life has become, has become because of the first coming of Jesus. So let's just pause to do that. <laughs> was able to, uh, I don't know, wake something up again, remind you of a new memory of something that changed because of your first, uh, your first moments of life with him. Um, and yeah, as we're approaching Christmas, uh, I want this to be a morning of longing, of hoping, of expectation, um, but awakening heart sickness. That's like my, that's my dream. That's my goal is for longing and heart sickness for Jesus to be stirred up, to be provoked in our hearts and in our minds and all the way to our actions at some point, but starting with how we feel towards him and whether or not we're just yearning for him to return. Um, Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, Peter, and I think it's Second Peter, he talks about hastening the day of Christ's return. Uh, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, though, and start talking about all sorts of uh, actions and the things to be done, but uh, there's ways to participate in that. Like Peter doesn't talk about it with just rhetoric, saying, "Hey, we can hasten the day, the return of the day of the Lord." It's like, no, there's there's an amazing participation that we as people get to have, uh, and our longing plays a direct role into that. Um, I just think like longing and heart sickness come first, so that's where I want to spend pretty much all our time this morning. Um, and like, think of the road to, uh, no, the walk to Emmaus, these two disciples who are with Jesus, and afterwards, they're debriefing after he reveals himself. They didn't know it was him. They're getting this amazing Bible study through the whole Old Testament, and suddenly, uh, he reveals himself. And they're like, what? Weren't our hearts burning within us? I'm like, man, I, I want that to be cultivated. I want that to be what happens in this body, in, in this little corner of the global church, that our hearts would be burning for more of Jesus. Uh, and I really don't expect to say anything new, uh, but I do hope that what's said, the way it's said, that this, this burning can be, we can add, add a flame, add fuel to that flame. Um, for a longing and a yearning to be face to face with Jesus, that that would be in our hearts like never before. It's um, so like, you know, First thing in the morning, you want to lift the curtains, lift the shades so you can get that fresh dose of sunlight and see clearly, see what's going on, see in the house, everything is illuminated. Uh, that's, that's my dream. That's the hope. Um, so I don't think I'll say anything new, really, but I hope there's a new light on the things that I say, the things that we read together. <clears throat> and uh, I was just telling Rod earlier, you know, that's, you know when you, like, your family gets a new car or something and suddenly you are looking around town, you're driving, you're like, oh. There's another one of it. There's the same make and model. They're all over the place. You know, it just like you see this thing suddenly everywhere. And that's what's been happening as I've delved into this kind of for the first time, this heart of Advent. I've always seen like, okay, we lit the candles. I don't really get why. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. Like I, <clears throat> and like, that's cool and all. Yeah, the birth of Jesus, it happened. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of been my attitude. And when Sam was like, hey, will you preach an Advent message? I was like, I better dig into this a little bit and figure out like... <laughs> 
see see what can happen in my heart. And that's what's been happening is this like this language of the coming of Jesus and expe- expecting it, anticipating it. And now I'm seeing it all over scripture. And it's like these New Testament authors, even um, I just noticed in First Corinthians as you were reading that, he's like, until he returns. They're just shy of being obsessed with this concept of Jesus coming back. Uh, anticipation. So go ahead and open to First John if you haven't already. But before we get started there, uh, just remember, like Jesus really is coming again. He's really coming back, and that's part of the whole plan, the whole promise. Jesus is really going to come back. And I realize some of us are more ready, and some of us are less ready for that to happen. Uh, we, we've got different things that are happening in our lives. Like, sometimes we have these dreams where <laughs> Rod also made the joke about, like, you know, the, the newlyweds. And, like, can he come tomorrow? <laughs> you know, there's these things, these dreams we have, and it's like we, we can kind of joke about it like that, but we want to push pause for a second on the return of Jesus. Or maybe it's uh, just we're so distracted by the world. We've got dreams, we've got the world, maybe we've got our own shame. Uh, we're nervous of what he might think if he comes back right now and sees the state I'm in, as if it's any different than when he first came to us. And so like, no, I come to you and I clean you. You don't have to come all perfected to me. <clears throat> um, yeah, I just, I just pray that as we spend this time in scripture, that it'll, he'll, he will guide us into further readiness and further excitement that we can do some business like on the personal level with the Holy Spirit with the Lord and let him uh, set our sights straight deal with the shame deal with distractions deal with uh, a proper placement of of dreams and expectations and hopes um, but before again first uh, John 2:28 it says this and now little children before I read that he uh, I feel like as I was listening to Sam's message last week and just chewing on this. I think shame and fear of what he might come back to see is a huge hurdle for a lot of people as far as whether or not we are just like head over heels excited for the return of Jesus. So First John talks about this, First John 2, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. <clears throat> John here, he like totally understands this concept of love. That's the main thing he talks about. And he notices this hurdle of shame. He's like, we know, we, we know he's coming back. Abide in him. Live in him so that there's no reason to be shamed. And it's not just like, okay, as I abide, yes, we become more and more righteous. But at the same time, we also know his heart towards towards the things that are shameful and he heals and he covers and he washes those things. So there is no reason to let shame get in the way. Yeah, there's these hurdles, there's these obstacles, um, things that interrupt us wanting to come to Jesus or wanting him to come to us is actually what we're talking about. Um, These things that dull, like I said, we have shame, we have dreams, and we have a love of the world uh, that anyone or any, any combo of these things could get in the way. Um, but this verse that we just read is a prescription for that. It's like, abide in him, live in him. And I trust that as, you know, as we seek him and say, like, okay, teach me how to do this, that he, he answers that request and he teaches us how to abide in him. 
he's a he's a king who's returning, and he wants to, and he wants us to want that, and he wants us to be ready for it. Um, so really, I hope and pray that uh, this kind of shame can be broken off of any of us who it applies to, and um, that we'll believe only what's true about our lives, the truth as God speaks it, and definitely not believing the lies or the half-truths that we hear from our own internal voice, that we hear from people around us, or that we hear straight from the enemy. Uh, don't live those lies any longer. <laughs> Simple as that. Stop living those lives, live with Christ, put shame to bed. <laughs> uh, so let's cling to the true things about God, and uh, therefore the things as it's true about him, what must be true, and what is true about who we are as we belong to him. That's who God is. He's the one who defines us, who restores us, who redeems us. Uh, yeah. Okay, so First John, starting the first one. Stay with me. We're going to get a sermon from a guy uh, from the first century church. And uh, put yourself in an early church, maybe like living room context, where a letter is being read to you because it was circulated. Because uh, one of the guys who got to walk with Jesus, who's now old, wrote a letter to encourage us. <laughs> That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest and we have seen it, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, or I'm reading these things, so that our joy may be complete. Uh, and you know how we tend to look at scripture um, in this way where Jesus is the hero. Like we, we, we paint him as the hero because he always is, instead of trying to emphasize us too much or some kind of specific principle. We just want Jesus to be elevated. We want him to be uh, exalted because of how we read scripture, how we preach scripture. <clears throat> That's only half of it. <laughs> Seeing him as the hero is huge, but also seeing him as the hero that's coming back is amazing. It's big. Uh, and it helps us grow in this hunger. It's like, okay, we're not with him at the moment right now, but he's coming again. And we get to experience some of these things that John was just talking about in an even greater way than we ever did before. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So. This con this, some of this contrast is like, okay, we see this, the person who's not walking in the light. Uh, that makes me long all the more for him to come back because this is this, like Paul writes about, this is this constant battle that we're facing. It's like, okay, he told us we can live this way. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live this way, but it still is difficult. I'm still striving and, and working. Uh, it feels like an uphill battle. That makes me want so much more to see him face to face because <laughs> it's something we'll, we'll read a little bit later where it's like uh, we will be changed because we'll see him face to face. So even, even in the negative things, it's like that stirs longing. That stirs expectation and hope and a desire for him to come again. 
<clears throat> my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not, only, uh, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, that I'm reading to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. This is a picture of him when he returns. When we, get, when we love the brothers and sisters, when we love one another, we can see this true light is already shining. We can see that there is no longer cause for stumbling. And this is a, this is a picture of the next time we get to see him face to face, of what, what kind of restoration he'll bring. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness, does not where he was, know, know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Thank you for his first coming. <laughs> I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. All of this because you, you already came once, Jesus. Thank you so much. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not let the love of the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is it not from the Father? It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. If that seems like a, an indictment against you, like, he, he breaks those doors open. If it's like, okay, I, I, I do love these things in the world, the desires of the world, the pride of life, like, yes, these things have a grip on me, and I've given to them. He breaks those things open. He breaks those things off so that we can experience this freedom and wake us back up instead of being sleepy. Uh, and, in fact, we, we have to do that with him. We have to break out from underneath these things. Uh, if we as an individual want our longing to add into this flow of just of rich desire for Jesus to come back again and to hasten his return and to act in a way that participates in that. Children, it's the last hour, and as, if you, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it, is, that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But if you have been anointed by the Holy One, you have, sorry, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. 
I read this to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because there is no lie of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. However, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life, which is coming to a universe near you. <laughs> so as Peter writes, people, uh, we'll, we'll see this later, people will scoff at this idea of the returning of Christ. They'll mock, they'll scoff, they'll scorn. Uh, and yet, unlike these antichrists, Jesus is real, and he is good, and he is true, and he is coming soon to stay, not to be one iteration after another of yet another person who's going to deny Christ. Uh, he's here to stay. I read these things to you, uh, not about, about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. Do you know this, church? <laughs> the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you, you have about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him, abide in Jesus. And now, little children, yet again, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. <laughs> Jesus, we want to see you. <laughs> see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Right now, we are called children of God. We belong to him. He's, he's our dad. He's our father. This is the reason, th this reason, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in the Lord purifies himself and is pure. This, is, this suggests such an amazing transformation for each of us uh, as he returns, when he returns, and it's all because of setting eyes on him, seeing him face to face. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin, which is amazing. <laughs> no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared the first time was to destroy the works of the devil. And he'll be returning again to cement the works of the Father and to undo the works of the enemy completely and perfectly and forever. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And this idea of loving or not loving a brother is, it's, if it's a lesser theme, it's like this much less. Uh, without loving a brother, without this gospel of the kingdom going forth because of love, 
there's, there is no hastening the day of the Lord. There is no hastening his return. And what even is it that we're re- hastening him to return to if we, who have been loved so deeply, aren't loving our brothers and sisters? This is, this is the identifier of whether or not we're in him, whether or not we're a child of God. This has been striking me so potently. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Say it backwards. Because we love our brothers and sisters, we know that we've passed out of death and into life. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus returning means that we have lived and we have loved like him, (laughs) proclaiming his kingdom so that people won't be abiding in death any longer. Okay, this next part, deep breath. (sighs) By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us, full stop. (laughs) We know love because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. And for example, I love, Nancy, what you've been doing, where... (laughs) There's this new this, this ministry that's been coming from the church, this gleaners, to prepare food to people for people, to take care of physical needs. It's like, more of that, Lord, please. <clears throat> like, help pack, help supply groceries, help drive, help pass groceries out to people. Like, get involved. Like, let's do this kind of stuff together and, and what we have capacity to do, what the Lord is calling us to do. If you've got the resources, let's do it, <laughs> you know. Not in talk only, but in deed and in truth. And take it further, live a life like that while proclaiming in, in truth and in word to these nations who haven't yet had this gospel of God's kingdom proclaimed yet. <laughs> By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemn, condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. <laughs> So this theme of loving one another seems so hard because the more we know somebody, the more we know the stuff we don't like about them. (laughs) With no excuse because he knows everything. (laughs) And when when we want to condemn ourselves, he overcomes that because he loves us, because he knows us. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So what are these commandments that keep being talked about that we do and that we know that please him? Next verse, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. (laughs) Okay, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty boiled down. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, love one another. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, I do not believe, uh, do not believe every spirit, 
but tests the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let that sink in. Just above we read, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. (laughs) Yet again, beloved, let us love one another. (laughs) For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, once so far, (laughs) that we might live through him. In this love, uh, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And when he comes, (laughs) it gets even better. The world will change. Righteousness will live here. Righteousness will dwell. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we ought to, guess what, love one another. <laughs> uh, coming up, there's a little bit of a contrast here, and it's like bookended. So pay attention to this. No one has ever seen God, this, this seeing God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever, this is coming from John, who was, who was there for the whole thing. <laughs> Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. <laughs> Again, let's pause, take a breath. Let it sink in, let it settle in, that you can have every confidence, no matter what shame would say, no matter what a lie that someone else has spoken, that you have spoken to yourself, that you've heard from the prince of the powers of the air, God loves you. He really loves you. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also, as he is so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. It's like, <laughs> so true, so good. Not We love so that someone else might love us, but because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God, here's the contrasting uh, to that first verse. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Final stretch of this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So it makes that list really short of people we're allowed to not love. <laughs> so short it probably doesn't even exist. Uh, by this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Remember what those commandments were. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Those are not burdensome commandments, no matter how burdensome it might feel to love someone else at a certain times. There's some approach, there's something where the Holy Spirit needs to enter in and, and help us and heal us and work in us, because that's, it, it just fills me with so much joy to realize that when Jesus was walking around loving people, it was not a burden to him. He wasn't like, Oh, Peter, 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 Peter. It's like, it's like, hey, Peter, how's it go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good to see you. It's not a burden to him. And that's, that's the capacity that's within us because he dwells in us. And that's just such an encouragement that he does not deal with us that way either. <clears throat> For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Or the way I've liked to look at it more recently is just our trust that God is who he says he is, that what he says is true. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Therefore, uh, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the blood, and these three agree. Uh, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, like Peter talks about, these scoffers, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in, his son, in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And I love the way this is written, because John is standing on this as something so concrete that this eternal life, he's, he can be convinced of it now, not just because it's something that is immeasurable and we die and we think we enter into it, but there's something about this eternal life that he knows he's experiencing here and now as he's dictating this in his like his old age for someone else to ship out and encourage the church with. He knows now he's experiencing eternal life with Christ. Uh, I read these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything uh, according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. <laughs> Let's pause one more time. Let's ask the Lord to increase our longing for his return. Uh, you can just do it quietly this time, but let's just take a pause and, uh, and ask him, knowing that he answers these prayers. Thank you, Jesus. little closing encouragement and exhortation from John. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he should ask in the same posture of prayer, knowing that God answers these things. We ask according to his will. Uh, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. Uh, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And after Jesus comes again, the evil one will never again be able to work or to be or to plan or to threaten. <laughs> we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one until Jesus comes again. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Thank you, John. <laughs> what an encouragement. I spent about a month reading this every day, and I cannot begin to tell you, uh, almost every day, I cannot begin to tell you how much of a, a thought change has occurred in my heart and my mind. And as many times as you read about love in Scripture, the the ratio increases when you read John's writings of just how serious it is and how much of an indicator it is for us that we are in Christ to love and to love brothers and sisters and for that to, to be such a humbling thing to know, okay, he loves me in spite of everything that he knows about me. Like the little that I know about someone else that tries to be a hurdle. Make it a hurdle no more, Lord. <laughs> Crash through it. <clears throat> uh, Let's jump to 2 Peter. You don't have to. I can just read it from here. 2 Peter 3, uh, 8 through 13, if you're taking notes. It says this. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you, ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. <laughs> that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire Look forward, look forward to this. There's, there's this doom and gloom that we tend to see be the overarching thing. Peter is exhorting us, look forward to this. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. There's something good about this. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven. This is the good thing. And a new earth where righteousness dwells. 
What I see here is another one of the guys who personally uh, was with Jesus, who knew him, who walked with him, who was corrected by him, who was loved by him. And he fully is convinced of and expecting his return. And this points back again to Matthew 24, 14, which I'll, I'll just read for you. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus is saying this in the midst of all these end time things. And he's like, but that stuff is not the important thing. Don't try to get caught up in trying to figure out when is the day, when is the hour. Get busy with this proclaiming of the kingdom in all the world uh, for all people to hear and to know. I don't know. I don't know the timing, but that happens, and then the end will come. I couldn't tell you it's it's a month, it's a day, it's a century, it's a millennia, and then Jesus will come back. I can't tell you that. All I know is that this is a key indicator, and then he that's that's the clue he's given, and then he'll come back. And I don't have the the numbers right. Um, so take this with a grain of salt, but the idea is there. I was telling Sam the other day, uh, in all of the history of Islam, so since somewhere around 300 AD, something like 80% of all the Muslims that have been heard the gospel and converted to Christianity has happened since the 80s, something like that. This huge explosion of, or, or maybe a little bit, a few decades longer than that, this huge explosion of people coming to know Christ because this gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed. This is what the patience of God looks like. Instead of us being like, God, why, why haven't you come back already? The world is terrible right now. Because of those millions, maybe billions of people who have been allowed to say yes. He's being so patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. This is what, these are the kinds of things that we can participate in to help hasten his day. And <clears throat> Like Sam and I got to, I wish so badly that we were doing this, like sitting over a meal, uh, over a cup of coffee or something, uh, because what, what is going on, what's about to happen is this like conspiracy theorist, yarn and thumbtacks, like cross-reference map of chaos, uh, and it feels a lot less kooky to dialogue over some food or some coffee, uh, but I'm going to do my best to bring the rest of this to you with with love for you and for Jesus. Um, so first John, thank you for sticking with me through an entire book of the Bible. Uh, it does a really good job of describing just how amazing God is, and it just hones in on his love. Uh, both the overt stuff that John says directly about these glories of God and with some reading between the lines, some of the stuff that I was giving to you here and there. Uh, but again, my goal... This morning, this whole Advent thing is for us to have yearning, longing, heart sickness for the return of Jesus to be stirred up. Um, so I have some rapid-fire scriptures to go through. If you want to uh, take notes to look at them later, feel free, but you're going you're gonna to be uh, hard-pressed to try to like flip through because I'm going, I'm going all over the Bible. Um, so if you want them for later, I suggest you write them down. If you want to meditate on them, otherwise... Uh, yeah, watch the video and uh, keep enjoying the sound of my voice. <clears throat> so I, Rod said something that was just beautiful before the sermon uh, or before we got started. And he's saying, like, all this stuff just has to do with, like, how well do we know him? <laughs> how, how well do we know the Lord? 
and uh, I this rapid fire list of things like I, I just want to tell you who this king is whether you've heard it before or not I just want to tell you who he is so we can just rest in it revel in it relish it um, and to kick that off my own you know 10 second testimony in my teenage years uh, because some stupid influence I got hooked on pornography for something like six years incessantly like it was so overpowering so crippling and it was seeping into every like every aspect of my life it just felt like a poison was slowly leaching everywhere uh, relationships into my mind and this king who I want to tell you about he's the one who he's He's the only one who could give me like a complete freedom from that. Uh, yeah, he hasn't stopped. <laughs> Isaiah 61, 1, 1 and 2 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to all who mourn, to comfort all who mourn. He's a healer. He's a restorer. Isaiah 53, 3-6. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is the servant who bore our punishment. Genesis 3, 14 through 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and on your and dust you shall eat for all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. He is the Messiah, the one to undo the pain and the shame of sin. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He is humble, he is sacrificial. John 3.16 and 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He loves us. Yeah. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. He is our great high priest. Like I said earlier, he understands our humanity. He understands us. He knows us. He loves us. And he serves us on behalf of God. Hebrews 12, uh, a few different chunks here, 18 to 19, 21 to 24, 26 to 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of God, of the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the innumerable angels in festal gathering, 
and to the assembly of the firstborn uh, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order, uh, that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship for, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He is a powerful king. He is a king who is a consuming fire, and this gloom, this tempest, this voice that makes even Moses say a tremble with fear is coming from the king who is for you. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Revelation 21.5 And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He is redeeming everything, and he is by no means a liar. <laughs> Psalm 19, 7 through 9, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. He's perfect. He's pure. He's clean. Exodus 34, 5-7 The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him, him being Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children and, the ch and children's children to the third and fourth generation. He is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and in faithfulness, and he is just. I know Jesus told the disciples that it was better that he left so that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, could come, and I am not refuting that. I believe that. I have experienced the benefit of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life, but I also believe it's true that it means having left, uh, he left so that he can return. And yes, that's the other thing that I'm starting to see all over the place is him leaving means that he can come back. Uh, remembering this passage from Second Peter earlier, Peter says, but in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new creation and a new, uh, new heaven, new earth, where righteousness dwells. I'm so happy and joyful <laughs> to have the life and the comfort and the education of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, he's an amazing gift. He's an amazing counselor. He's an amazing friend. Uh, and Jesus also says he leaves him as a guarantee for us. Why would there be a guarantee unless Jesus was coming back so we could cash in that guarantee? And we can know that as a guarantee, uh, it means that there's this bigger plan according to uh, the returning of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that they couldn't follow where he was going. He said he's going to prepare a place for them, for us. Uh, and you should talk to Frida, probably Jennifer as well, about this whole, the whole Jewish 
marriage structure and the way that they even kick off the initiate anything between of like interest and uh, part of it is the groom goes off to prepare the space where he and his bride will live and he has to go away and it is fully for the purpose of coming back to have this consummation it's totally not an abandonment thing it's not a uh, well you know like I I gave all I had and uh, I just got to take a break now it's preparation this is everything we get to look forward to as he comes again Rest assured that we aren't cultivating a one-sided longing or an unrequited love. Uh, this, this I'm going to prepare a place for you is yet another way that he says, I love you. <laughs> I'm coming back for you. I'm leaving so that I can return. Uh, I guarantee that his longing uh, in, for his return to you is to a painful degree in his own heart. He's, he's just... He's so eager. He's so eager for that day to return to you. <laughs> I don't know how many times I'd have to say you to hit every person in here, but you. <laughs> if creation is groaning for him, he is shaking all the heavens and all the earth to make ready to come back at just the right time. As we look forward to Christmas, uh, the first coming of Christ, cherish it. Don't be like, oh, well, he's coming again. I'm only going to look at that. Cherish it. He accomplished so much, even just in his arrival as a baby. Uh, he's the hope of the world. He's, it's the arrival of the Prince of Peace. But in the spirit of Advent, expectation of arrival, looking forward along with the patriarchs, with the priests, with the prophets of old, uh, let's look at Jesus' second coming. And as your love and your yearning and your heart sickness bubbles over, tell someone, tell lots of people about how wonderful your king is. Hasten his return by being part of this gospel of the kingdom, being preached, being proclaimed as a testimony in the whole world, and then the end can come. Jesus, I, I just, I am in awe of how wonderful you are. I mean, all of what you have made so clear and so obvious to us and <clears throat> that you are, uh, you're good and that as much as we can grow and be sustained in a longing and a loving for you and for your return, like, comfort us, reassure us, bless us with knowing and trusting that you long for us that much more, uh, that you, you really will and you really have shaken the heavens and the earth for us to for our sake, uh, to come back for us and to accomplish your plans. Don't let it pass on us, this idea of your love for us and uh, our ability, our desire, our need to love other people. Um, and God, kick shame out of our lives so that we can have confidence at your coming and look forward to a total, total eagerness, total expectation, total love. Yeah, bless this church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tell them to stand up. Go ahead and stand up for the singing of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise 
you are sent. Amen.